0: We are the majority of the Angan Communion. It's very foolish to ignore us. The description of us as a ginger group is a complete fallacy. We are, I think it's 50 million out of 70 million. You can't ignore that, but most of all, do not ignore the teaching of Scripture and the teaching of Jesus. We're here for him. We're here to glorify Christ. And we are not going to have people peddling another gospel and claiming to be Anglicans. They should not. They should leave there and not take their salaries. Go and join another formation of a schism or whatever they want to do, but don't claim to be Anglican because Anglicans are those firmly with their feet rooted in
1: the Bible. Well, that was Archbishop Glenn Davies dropping the mic at Gafcon 2018. This week we'll look at John 8 to find out what a real disciple looks like and we'll look at what GAFCON is about and why it matters. My name's Tom Abib, and you're listening to The Word Grows. Okay, so today we're looking at the back half of John 8 and we're asking, what makes a real disciple of Jesus? Now, this isn't the first time we've asked this question. Uh, we've seen, say, in John 4, that a real disciple is one who believes in the words of Jesus and isn't just caught up in the hyper of miracles. Uh, true faith is faith in the word. We've also seen in John 6 that a real disciple is one who believes in the real Jesus, not a wonder worker or a material provider or a political saviour, but a suffering messiah. Uh, the one who gives his life through his sacrificial death on the cross. That's the body and the blood that we must eat. So a big part of John is thinking about what a real disciple actually is. This makes a lot of sense because if you go to John's purpose statement in John 20, we're told that this is all written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what does it mean to believe? What is a true believer? That's what John is trying to spend a lot of his gospel explaining. And John 8 is one of the most important parts of the Bible to answer that question. So in John 8, 31, Jesus is dealing with a group of Jews who, we are told, believed in him. Now, by the end of this chapter, this same group of so-called believers are going to be picking up rocks and trying to murder Jesus. So what on earth happened... you know, t- t- to cause this kind of a reaction. I think we could safely call this the most shocking follow-up course ever. Uh, in verse 31, Jesus begins his teaching. He says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So here is the test. This is the marker of a true disciple. And this is what Jesus is saying to a group of believers who have claimed to believe in him. Jesus says a true disciple is someone who holds to his teaching, literally abides in my words. So a true believer is not just someone who believes in Jesus' words, but someone who keeps believing in Jesus' words. In other words, you can't just pick and choose. You can't say, I like the whole light of the world, bread of life stuff about Jesus, but I don't like the whole sin and judgment thing. And as we'll see, that's exactly what this group is like. So they take issue with what has come to be one of the most famous sayings in the Bible, when Jesus says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, we might listen to that and think, wow, what an amazing statement. But for a Jewish person at the time, this was a huge insult. Because Jesus is claiming that they are not free. And they say to Jesus, Hey, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. Okay, they can't even get through the introduction of Jesus' follow-up course before they have trouble sticking with his teaching. And why they, think, uh, why they think this, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, after all, they were slaves once. They were slaves in Egypt That's like their big salvation moment. But maybe what they're thinking is, well, since we've been set free from Egypt, we haven't been slaves of anyone. We are God's people. We are free. But Jesus starts off his teaching with a pretty radical lesson. He says, actually, no, you're not free. You're slaves. You're slaves to sin. Now, remember what Jesus has said. You are a real disciple if you hold to my teaching, if you keep to my teaching. So how are they going to respond to this teaching? this teaching that we're slaves to sin? Well, the answer is not very well. They don't like the idea, and they say we're not slaves of anyone. But then Jesus pushes them even further. He says, well, you're not really children of Abraham either. See, you're not doing what Abraham is doing. You're doing what your father does, and therefore you're not children of Abraham. Now, at this point, the Jews are furious. They say, no, Abraham is our father. And then they go on to say, actually, God is our father. How dare you say this sort of thing? This is where Jesus gets really insulting. He says, actually, your father is the devil. So what has Jesus given them in their first follow-up lesson after they become Christians? Well, point number one, you're slaves of sin. Point number two, you're children of the devil. Now, remember, what makes a real disciple? Someone who holds to Jesus' teaching. Do they hold to this? No. No. Now, what Jesus says is a really big call, that they're children of the devil. I mean, imagine trying to say that to someone today, but Jesus actually has the evidence to back it up. So in verse 44, Jesus describes the devil. He says he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him. So there are two main characteristics of the devil. First, he's a murderer and second, he's a liar. And Jesus says, well, let's look at you guys. First, you're trying to kill me. Now, That must have come as news to them. Uh, They're they're meant to be believers in Jesus, and Jesus is saying, you're trying to kill me, but actually Jesus is spot on. By the end of this chapter, they will actually try to kill him. Jesus sees the murder that's in their heart. So they're murderers. Second, they don't believe the truth. Jesus is giving them their first lesson in his follow-up course, and they're rejecting it. And therefore, they don't believe the truth. They are liars. So follow the logic. Jesus says, if you are Abraham's children, you would act like Abraham. But instead, how are you acting? Well, you're acting like murderers. You're acting like liars. Hmm, who does that sound like? How about the father of liars? How about the one who was a murderer from the beginning? You're acting just like the devil, and therefore your true father is the devil. Now, that's the point that Jesus is making to try and help them see that they actually are children of the devil. Now, I want to take a tangent for a second and look at what Jesus says about their unbelief because, like most of this gospel, John takes a lot of time to explain not just what faith looks like but what unbelief looks like as well. And he wants us to properly understand why it is that people don't believe. So, in verse 44, Jesus explains that the devil is the father of lies. In fact, there is no truth in him, he is pure lies. And then he explains this in a really interesting way. He says, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, that's really interesting, isn't it? In other words, truth is a foreign language to the devil. Now, what does that mean if you're a child of the devil? Well, Jesus says in verse 45, yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Now, that is a fascinating verse. Listen to it again. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. See, Jesus isn't saying, I'm telling you the truth and you're not believing me. He's saying a lot more than that. What he's saying is, the very reason why you're not believing in me is because I speak the truth. You see the point he's making? If truth is a foreign language to the devil, and therefore truth is a foreign language to the children of the devil, then when they hear the truth, they won't believe it Exactly because it is the truth. See, if you told them a lie, well, now you're speaking their language. Then they believe you. But if you tell them the truth, and if they are children of the devil, the father of lies, they will hear that truth and it will be a foreign language. They won't accept it. They won't believe it because it's the truth. And so again, we see that unbelief is entirely spiritual. It's not an intellectual problem. And what people need is not just more information or better convincing arguments or more impressive and exciting church services. That's what will make them believe. No, no, they're slaves to their sin. They're children of the devil. Truth is a foreign language. And therefore, what do they need? They need to be set free, which is exactly what Jesus says right at the start. The truth will set you free. And the point that Jesus makes later on in verse 35:36, he says, look, if you're a slave, you'll have no place with God, no permanent place with God, but a son has the permanent place in the household. And so he says, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Okay, so let's come back to what's going on. Jesus has said that a real disciple is someone who holds to his teaching. But what is lesson 1 in Jesus follow-up course for new Christians? You are slaves to sin and you're children of the devil, but I can set you free. And they stumble on lesson one. The first thing Jesus teaches them is the first thing that they can't hold to. It's too offensive. It's too outrageous. And so what do they do? Well, it's kind of weird. They accuse Jesus of being a Samaritan, which I guess is some inaccurate racial slur against him. And they accuse him of being demon possessed. And Jesus shrugs this off pretty easily and again, graciously offers them life. Verse 51, he says, very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. Uh, he, he's saying to this this new group of so-called believers, guys, if you just trust me with this, you know, if you if you just stick with my teaching, you'll be free, and you'll have eternal life. But they're now of- offended again by Jesus' teaching, and they say, "How can you possibly claim that if we obey your teaching, we won't taste death?" They say, "Even Abraham died. Are you saying that you're greater than Abraham?" And Jesus doesn't back down here. He ups the ante. He says, well, actually, yes, I am greater than Abraham, and Abraham looked forward to my day. To which these Jewish so-called believers asked in verse 57, you're not 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? To which Jesus famously replies, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. And what Jesus is doing here is claiming to be God. And he does it in two ways. First, he's claiming to be eternal He's saying, look, I existed even before Abraham did, who lived thousands of years ago. But even more importantly, Jesus is appropriating the name of God, the, God that, that name, the, the, the name that God reveals to Moses, I am. And by this point, this new group of believers have heard enough. And what may have started as a promising follow-up course for a bunch of new believers ends with them picking up stones and trying to murder Jesus. Warning to all those planning on running follow-up courses in the future, it could get ugly. Okay, so what do we see in this chapter? Well, the mark of a real disciple is someone who sticks with Jesus' teaching. This group of so-called believers didn't, and so they showed themselves to be fake disciples. But more than this, it's important to see what two teachings they stumbled on, what two teachings they couldn't accept, what two teachings they rejected. The first one is the doctrine of sin. They loved the idea of Jesus, and they would have accepted a lot of his teachings. They clearly liked him. They believed in him. But they couldn't handle the idea that they were slaves of sin or children of the devil, and they refused to believe that they needed to be set free from sin. This is key for us to understand because this is the number one teaching that so-called Christians reject today. Okay, they will go on for hours and hours about, oh, Jesus, he's so great. He, he came for the poor and the lowly. You know, he showed radical and inclusive love. He, he challenged the establishment and the corrupt system. You know, they, they love that sort of stuff. Yeah, we love Jesus. But then the moment that you suggest that they might have a problem, that they're sinful, that they're enslaved, that they need rescuing from their sin, well, then they don't want to hear a bar of it. Because to suggest that someone is sinful is to suggest that they need to change, that they need to repent. And people don't want to change. They like the darkness. Thank you very much. And this is exactly what we see with liberal churches today, right? So they claim to follow Jesus. They might even look the part. They might even say the right words a lot of the time. But what's missing? Their doctrine of sin. They might say the world is broken or we need healing. But what we don't need is saving from sin. People can live their lives however they want. That's what God wants for you. That's what they say. And Jesus is clear. Look, if you don't hold to my teaching that you are slaves to sin and children of the devil and need to be freed by me, well, then you're not my real disciples. The second teaching that they reject is connected, and it has to do with the lordship of Christ. See, essentially, their comeback to Jesus for all this sin stuff is to say, well, you don't actually have any authority over us anyway. You can't tell us what to do. And Jesus says, well, actually, yes, I do have authority over you. And yes, I can tell you what to do. See, I'm God. And that's the whole point of saying that Abraham rejoiced to see his day. And before Abraham was, I am. Jesus doesn't just randomly say, oh, and by the way, I'm the second person of the Trinity. No, he's pulling rank. He's saying, you need to stick to my teaching because I'm your God. That's why you need to follow me. That's why I can bring you back from the dead. And of course, if you're refusing to accept Jesus' teaching on sin, then the very next teaching that you must logically reject is Jesus' authority over you. Because if Jesus does have authority, then you must obey him. And surprise, surprise, that's exactly what fake Christians do all the time today. They don't accept the lordship of Jesus. And the main way that they do this is through an attack on the Bible, okay? They create a Jesus of their own fashioning rather than the true Jesus witnessed by the apostles and written down in the Bible, and they reject whole swathes of the Bible, saying things like, oh, it's it's an ancient text. It doesn't have relevance for us today. Or, well, the Holy Spirit is moving again. He's teaching us something new. He's, He's bringing us into greater understanding than people could handle back then. But however they want to spin it, it's obvious what these fake Christians are doing. They're simply saying to Jesus, you're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. So in the back half of John 8, we discover how to tell between a real disciple and a fake disciple. A real disciple sticks with Jesus' teaching. A fake disciple doesn't. But this isn't just some, and this is really important to understand, this isn't just some mean-spirited tryout session that Jesus is doing to see who gets into he- who gets into heaven and who doesn't. Now, there's a really important reason to all of this, and it comes back to that really famous saying that we heard at the start, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, the reason real disciples must stick with Jesus' teaching is because it is this teaching that will ultimately free you and give you life. See, it's only when you believe and accept that you are slaves of sin and children of the devil that you'll come to the Son and be set free from your sin. And it's only when you accept the lordship of Christ that you'll bow before him as king and find perfect freedom in obedience to him. That's why a real disciple must accept Jesus' teaching, because the truth will set you free. On the other side, reject the truth, and you remain in chains. You remain in your sin. You remain a child of the devil, and you're on your way to death. I think that should help frame the way we think about these liberal churches, that claim to be Christian but reject the truth. Because as long as they reject Jesus' teaching, they are keeping people in chains. They are keeping people in their sin, in the family of the devil, and they are directing people on the road to death. The reason we need to care so much about the truth and so and hold so tightly to the teaching of Jesus is because that is where freedom is found. We want real disciples, free disciples. And so we need to stick with Jesus' teaching. And that is the back half of John 8. Okay, so I want to look at what's been happening in the world now, and today I want to talk about GAFCON. Now, if you're not an Anglican, or even if you are one, and you're not totally up to speed on international Anglican politics, which I'm guessing most of you aren't, then you might not really know what GAFCON is. When I first heard it, I wasn't sure if it was a laundry detergent, a petrol company, or a way of measuring the defence readiness of the Anglican Church. Turns out, it's none of these things. By the way, if you want to look into this more, I highly recommend checking out the Gafcon website, gafcon.org. That's G-A-F-C-O-N dot org. So first, a bit of background. What is Gafcon? Well, Gafcon is a fellowship or family of Anglicans. Now, what sets this fellowship apart is that they are Anglicans that actually believe the Bible. Now, you would think that simply saying that you're Anglican means that you believe the Bible, but sadly it doesn't. There are lots of Anglican members, priests, churches, even whole provinces around the world that have gone the way of our friends in John 8 and rejected Jesus' teaching. And so Gafcon is a group of radical Anglicans that, you know, believe the Bible, And when I say group, don't think of a small bunch of old white guys in dog collars sitting in some basement thinking they're the only guys getting into heaven. No, it's a truly global, that's what the G in GAFCON stands for, global fellowship, comprising mostly of Africans and South Americans, and a couple of Aussies and British and other people as well. Now, a lot of the time, it's the white guys that are rejecting the gospel, our friends in North America, and we'll get to them in a minute. Gafcon's state of mission is to guard the unchanging, transforming gospel of Jesus Christ and proclaim him to the world. Uh, here is one statement on their website that I particularly like because it ties nicely with what we've been looking at in John 8. I'll, let me read it. Gafcon works to guard and proclaim the unchanging, transforming gospel through biblically faithful preaching and teaching, which frees our churches to make disciples by clear and certain witness to Jesus Christ in all the world. So, how did GAFCON come about? Well, we don't have forever to look at everything, but I'm going to try and touch on the main points and give you a bit of a history of GAFCON and why there was this big conference that happened in Jerusalem last week. Now, you could say that the roots of Gafcon began with the sexual revolution and increasing secularization in our society. That's what ultimately led, at least from a human level, to some Anglican churches rejecting the truth of the gospel. They wanted to be like the culture around them, and the culture really didn't like what Jesus taught about sex, homosexuality, and gender. And so they had a choice to make, and they went with culture rather than Jesus. Now, this all came to a head in 1998 at the Lambeth Conference. Now, Lambeth is an important thing to know about to understand GAFCON, so let me explain what Lambeth is all about. Lambeth Conference is essentially the major get-together of bishops and primates in the Anglican Communion around the world. It's usually held every 10 years, and it's been going since 1867. It's held at Lambeth Palace in England, hence Lambeth Conference. It's also headed up by the Archbishop of Canterbury, which is seen by some as the figurehead, if not actual head, of the Anglican Church. So, Lambeth, 1998, the Worldwide Anglican Communion gets together to meet, and they agree upon what will become a very significant resolution, Resolution 110, which reaffirmed three important teachings from the Bible, one, that sex is between a man and a woman in marriage, two, that abstinence should be honoured outside marriage, and three, that pastoral care should be given to those of same-sex attraction. This is a really important resolution because it will keep on coming up again and again as we think about what GAFCON is all about. Now, Lambeth Conference upholds the Bible's teaching on marriage between a man and a woman in 1998. And this was a big deal because this is the whole Anglican communion getting together and agreeing upon what we believe and essentially saying, we believe what the Bible says about sex. This is what Anglicans believe because this is what the Bible says, and the Worldwide Anglican Communion agreed to this in 1998. But then the Americans decided to just go ahead and ignore this resolution anyway. Now, the American Anglican Church is called Episcopalian. It comes from the Greek word episkopos, meaning overseer, or if you're Anglican, you translate it as bishop for some reason. But anyway, from here on out, we'll call the American Anglican Church TEC, which stands for the Episcopal Church. So in 2003, a clergyman who was living in a same-sex relationship was consecrated as a bishop in TEC. Within a year, TEC clergy were blessing same-sex unions. Now, meanwhile, in Canada, Anglicans were doing the same thing. A year earlier, the Diocese of New Westminster, in the Anglican Church of Canada, authorized liturgy to bless same-sex unions. Now, when that was voted on in synod, several synod members walked out, including a well-known Christian writer, J.I. Packer. Uh, He later wrote about this, Why did I walk out with the others? Because this decision, taken in its context, falsifies the gospel of Christ, abandons the authority of scripture, jeopardizes the salvation of fellow human beings, and betrays the church in its God-appointed role as the bastion and bulwark of the truth, of divine truth. Good job, J.I. Packer. But things were about to get rough for those American and Canadian Anglicans who still wanted to stick to the truth. So in February uh, 2008, Packers Church, St. John's, which was the largest Anglican church in Canada and led by Australian Moore College graduate David Short, voted to leave the Anglican Church of Canada and and instead seek oversight from an Anglican bishop in Argentina. They called themselves ANIC, or Anglican Network in Canada. But the Anglican Church of Canada weren't going to take this sort of rejection lying down. They said, "Well, if you don't want our oversight, we'll take our buildings back." And they did. They proceeded to kick out the largest Anglican congregation in all of Canada out of their out of their church building. If they hated me, they will hate you indeed. And in 2009, a lower court ruling that the, uh, a lower court ruled that the diocese could, in fact, do this. And by then, four parishes had lost their church buildings because they wanted to stick to the truth of the gospel. This then became par for the course in North America, with churches both in Canada and the U.S. being kicked out of their buildings for seeking oversight from Bible-believing bishops rather than the liberal heretical bishops of the ACOC in Canada and TEC in the U.S. Now, in 2012, the same thing started happening with Christians in the Church of Scotland. The thriving, massive evangelical church in Glasgow, known as the Tron, was kicked out of their building when they refused oversight from bishops who allowed practicing homosexual clergy. Uh, I actually had the privilege of hearing from the minister of that church, William Philip, when he came to speak to us Anglican candidates while I was still studying. And he spoke of how the congregation had recently done massive renovations to the church building, donating millions of dollars, and now the Church of Scotland was kicking them out of that building. But in a wonderful demonstration of true discipleship, they stuck with Jesus' teaching and left. Okay, back to GAFCON. So from 2003, the Americans and Canadians were acting in complete contradiction to Resolution 110. Remember, that's the resolution about how we're going to stick with the Bible on sex, on what it says about sex, that sex is between a man and a woman and Outside of marriage, abstinence should be on it. Well, in 2008, it was time for another Lambeth conference, except the then Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, invited bishops from these two Anglican provinces that had completely rejected Resolution 110 in practice and also rejected what the Bible says about sex. So for years, Orthodox Anglicans had called on TEC and ACOC in Canada to to repent, but being invited to Lambeth was really the last straw. By inviting them to Lambeth, the Archbishop of Canterbury was welcoming those who hadn't just rejected the resolutions, they rejected the very teachings of Christ. And so what were confessing, believing, Bible-believing Anglicans around the world to do? Well, a group of 291 bishops and 1,148 lay and clergy leaders met in Jerusalem to consider how to take a stand against these heretical sects within the Anglican Communion. And so was born GAFCON, or the Global Anglican Future Conference. And playing a major role in bringing all this together was the General Secretary of GAFCON, Peter Jensen, our former Archbishop of Sydney. The point of GAFCON was to say, hey, we're the real Anglicans. We're the majority of Anglicans around the world. We're the ones that are still living out the true tradition of the Reformation that Anglicanism was born in. And we're the ones that are sticking with Jesus and his teaching. We're the true Anglicans, not those Americans and Canadians who are hobnobbing in Lambeth Palace. That's my words, not not GAFCON's. And so in 2008, GAFCON produced the Jerusalem Statement and Declaration in which it stated, let me read... Our fellowship is not breaking away from the Anglican communion. We, together with many other faithful Anglicans throughout the world, believe the doctrinal foundation of Anglicanism, which defines our core identity as Anglicans, is expressed in these words. The doctrine of the Church is grounded in the Holy Scriptures and in such teachings of the ancient fathers and councils of the Church as are agreeable to the said Scriptures. In particular, such doctrine is to be found in the thirty nine Articles of Religion, the Book of Common Prayer and the Ordinal. We intend to remain faithful to this standard, and we call on others in the communion to reaffirm and return to it. While acknowledging the nature of Canterbury as an, is- an historic see, we do not accept that Anglican identity is determined necessarily through recognition by the Archbishop of Canterbury. Okay. The key thing about all of this is that GAFCON was saying they are not just a moment in time, but a movement in the spirit. In other words, what was happening in 2008 was not just a once-off meeting. It was the beginning of a movement of Bible-believing or confessing Anglicans who had decided to stick together and stick with Jesus. They weren't going anywhere. They still saw themselves as Anglicans, and they said, you know what? the Archbishop of Canterbury doesn't decide who Anglicans are. And so GAFCON was born. And it grew. A lot. More and more Anglican provinces got on board, and the second conference held five years later in Nairobi, Kenya, this time had 1,300 delegates from 38 nations and 27 provinces of the Anglican Communion. The Nairobi Communique and Commitment agreed to take forward the work of the GAFCON movement, which they did. So today, GAFCON represents the majority of Anglicans worldwide, but liberalism also has continued to spread. Uh, The one thing that the American church has, along with false teaching, is money, and they are working very hard on spreading their false teaching to the global south. And along with the TEC, the Anglican Church of Canada and the Scottish Episcopal Church have all now formally agreed to recognize and conduct same-sex marriage. And so... Five years on from the second conference, we come to 2018. GAFCON met again this year in Jerusalem for its third Global Anglican Futures Conference. And a lot of people came. So there were 316 bishops, 669 clergy, and 965 laity. This movement is growing. In fact, it was the biggest meeting of Anglicans anywhere in the world in the past 50 years. The conference ended with the final statement, which was appropriately titled, Letter to the Churches. It feels very New Testament, doesn't it? After renewing their commitment to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the letter warned of an attack on the churches from without and within. So it noted noted external attacks such as secularism and superstition, but then it honed in on the internal attacks of the church. Two false teachings were highlighted, the prosperity gospel, which is ravaging churches in the global south, and theological revisionism, which is basically what we've been talking about, the denial of the seriousness of sin, the need for repentance, the final authority of the Bible. All of those issues are on the table, when it comes to what Christians believe about same-sex marriage or homosexuality in general. So the letter called these heresies out. We're looking at you, America and Canada. But even more, the letter didn't just call out these heresies, it also called out the failure of leadership in our churches to address these threats. Now we're looking at Lambeth Conference and the Archbishop of Canterbury. So the letter urges the Archbishop of Canterbury to invite as full members bishops from the Anglican Church in North America. Now, this is a little confusing. The Anglican Church in North America is the new confessing Anglicans province that they created when they thought, we can't hang around with these heretics in the TEC and the ACOC. And so this letter is saying, hey, invite this new province that we've created, the Anglican Church in North America, invite them to Lambeth because they actually believe the Bible. And then the letter urges the Archbishop of Canterbury to not invite those bishops who have endorsed by word or deed sexual practices in contradiction to the scriptures. In other words, stop inviting the Americans and Canadians over for tea, stop inviting Bishop Curry to a royal wedding, and please stop giving them a seat at Lambeth Conference. These guys are heretics, for goodness sake. The letter then throws down an ultimatum. If you don't do this, we're not coming to Lambeth in 2020. So this is what happened the other week at GAFCON. This letter was produced, and it didn't go unnoticed back in Britain. Uh, Following the attendance at GAFCON by two Irish bishops, the Church of Ireland described them in the local newspaper as an absolute disgrace, schismatic, and out of touch with church membership. Uh, uh, Josiah Uduwu-Firon, I'm sorry if I said that wrong, the Secretary-General of the Anglican Communion, was also not happy with Gafcon setting up what looked like pretty much a parallel structure of the Anglican Church alongside, you know, the Anglican Church. Uh, He wrote a letter to all the primates claiming, whilst Gafcon is a group that claims to champion renewal, it appears to be setting up what clearly looks like a rival structure, that is clearly not in conformity with our understanding of what it means to be Anglican. In other words, he's saying, hey, we're the Anglican church, stop doing your own thing. To which we'd probably say, well, stop inviting heretics over, start employing discipline like you said you would, and we might think of coming back to your birthday party. Now... It's the setting up of these new structures that is really what is new with GAFCON 2018. And it is massive. It's essentially saying, look, since we are the real Anglicans, we're going to start acting like the Anglican Church. Whether Lambeth and the Archbishop of Canterbury or Canada or the United States are going to or not, we're just going to do our own thing. You guys over there can join us if you want, but whether you do or not, we're going full steam ahead on our own. If you want to keep hanging out with heretics... You can shrivel up on the vine. Now, Ed Lone, who's a lecturer in theology and church history at Moore College, was at GAFCON. I strongly recommend, if you're interested, to read the article that he wrote over at sydneyanglicans.net or the Australian Gospel Coalition. He sums up what happened really well, so let me read to you a fairly large chunk of what he says. This is what he writes. But the legacy of GAFCON 2018 will be more than a reiteration of Orthodox Anglicanism and a call for schismatics to return. In a highly significant move, the conference endorsed the establishment of several networks which will foster the fellowship between Anglicans who share a unity of history, doctrine and mission. Nine networks were established, including networks for theological education, youth and children's ministry and, all importantly, mission and evangelism. In this way, GAFCON 2018 has effectively declared that the mission of the church is too urgent and important to indefinitely wait for errant churches and corrupt fellowship structures to fulfill their original purposes. These new global networks will deepen the fellowship and expand the mission of those who share unity in Christ. Under God, the new communion structures that Gafcon has endorsed hold great promise, and there is good reason to be hopeful about the future of Anglicanism. Of course, it is desired that the original instruments and the errant churches will return to their purpose, but now, whether they do or not, is quite irrelevant to the future of global Anglicanism. Okay, so hopefully that gives you a bit of the background uh, to GAFCON and also helps you to see why GAFCON 2018 was kind of a big deal. Um, Even if you're not Anglican, this is really important. These issues are facing every church, and the question that we need to really ask ourselves is, are we going to be sticking with Jesus' teaching or not? The wonderful thing about GAFCON is that you have all of these Anglicans from all around the world going, You bet we are, and that's awesome. Now, since I wasn't there myself, two young kids and a pregnant wife are hard to leave behind to hang out in Israel for a week, I thought we should finish by hearing some people who were there and listening to their reactions. Now, all these clips that I'm playing have been taken from the interviews that Dominic Steele did while he was there, and they can be watched in full on the GAFCON website. You can also catch Dominic's most recent Pastor's Heart episode about GAFCON 2018 as well. So let's start where we began with Glenn Davies, dropping the mic like I've never heard him do before. Go Glenn.
0: We are the majority of the Angan Communion. It's very foolish to ignore us. The description of us as a ginger group is a complete fallacy. We are, I think it's 50 million out of 70 million. You can't ignore that, but most of all, do not ignore the teaching of Scripture and the teaching of Jesus we're here for him we're here to glorify christ and we are not going to have people peddling another gospel and claiming to be anglicans they should not they should leave there and not take their salaries go and join another formation of a schism or whatever they want to do but don't claim to be anglican because anglicans are those firmly with their feet rooted in the bible this letter to the churches is all about the gospel proclaiming christ faithfully to the nations so therefore up front and centre is here's the gospel, it is precious, it is God's gospel, but humans have distorted it. There have been factors both without and within which have diluted the power of the gospel and we want to face those and say this is where we have failed to actually oppose these forces. But you'll see there's a challenge to the Archbishop of Canterbury. We want him to step up to the leadership of his office. And actually invite those faithful Anglican provinces like the Anglican Church in North America to come to the table and to say to those who are errant and uh, have deviated from the faith once for all delivered to the saints, to not come because you have abandoned Resolution 110 of 1998. That is the communion stance because it reflects the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 19. If we lose that, we've lost the gospel.
1: Isn't that so helpful? I love what Glenn says there. If we lose that, we've lost the gospel. And we're here for him. We're here for Jesus. That's what all this is about. Um, Let me now play you a clip from uh, William Taylor, uh, who is the rector at um, Bishopsgate in London, which is uh, one of the biggest evangelical churches uh, in Britain. Uh, Let's listen to what he has to say, particularly about how we should think about this in light of unity.
2: Well, I think he said something very helpful about not being able to walk together with those who deny the gospel, because in denying the gospel, they're denying orthodoxy. Yeah. And the idea that um, one can go on walking together with people habitu- who habitually and continually deny the gospel, there has to be distance placed, seems to me, if you, if you take the gospel seriously. Yeah. I guess if you, if you make an idolatry of unity and you have no repentance in your gospel, which is a false gospel, but if you make an idolatry of unity and you have no repentance in your gospel, then you're happy to walk together even um, when somebody is denying the gospel. But I don't think we can possibly walk together in any spiritual sense with people who are denying the gospel. I think what is extraordinary to me is that there is not one single diocesan bishop here.
0: I mean, that is bizarre. We have the largest gathering yeah, yeah. of Anglicans and the most diverse... Uh, the, I mean, Gafcon is representing two-thirds of the world Anglicans. Correct. And the Correct. diocesan bishops from England are not here.
2: Yeah, yeah, not one of them. And um, what is so interesting is if you look at the, the ordination or consecration vows where a bishop promises with faithful diligence to drive out all erroneous doctrine, you know, th- they're... That is absent. And instead, there is a coalescing around the lowest com- common denominator of what I would call an idolatrous unity. Mm. Do you know, um, God tells us in, uh, in in two chronicles that there is a form of unity that brings about His wrath when Jehoshaphat um, unites with those who hate the Lord. Mm. And you get a sense of, you know, that God's ju- judgment really coming upon us in that in that way because of our desire to maintain this kind of unity.
1: Okay, just really quickly now, I want to play a clip um, from Rico Tice being interviewed. Uh, for those who don't know, Rico Tice is a, a fantastic evangelism. He's written, I think, one of the best books on evangelism called Honest Evangelism. Uh, he was mentored by Chapo, uh, and he is also from England, um, and... This is him talking about why Gafcon is important, but also why sticking with Jesus' teaching is important in light of the need for evangelism today. Uh, so let's listen to what he has to say.
3: Listen, if the Anglican Communion won't be this, then here's the issue. It will be like Wesley, where the Lord will um, uh, take his power and his spirit and his gospel outside the institutions elsewhere. So, you know, what we're... What we're I think the message here with the vast numbers that are here and the leaders that are here is that, listen guys, the spirit will depart the, at the traditional Anglican church unless we submit to scripture and unless we repent of our sin and call people to do that. And, and so I think it's a, great, it's, a, it's a great warning to be heeded. I'm speaking as an evangelist. I'm, the, I'm, I'm someone who's spent 30 years trying to win the lost and, and that's why I'm here. I'm there here because I know that there's no power in evangelism unless you're submitted to scripture.
0: Well, that's the thing, isn't it? We've, we've started up these networks at, at yeah. GAFCON, theological networks, evangelist networks, uh, women's ministry networks, youth yeah. and children networks, and, and one could say those networks exist in the Anglican Communion already, but if they're going to be led by men who do, or who do not hold yeah. to the authority of the Scriptures um, and who do not hold to the uniqueness of Christ, then we're on a different page. We need to actually work out how to preach Christ with people who agree on who Christ is.
3: Yes, it's a different religion. Bishop Paul Bayes and I have a different religion and it's around whether um, uh, scripture is authoritative in terms of human sexuality. But my view, I, I think it's a great wickedness to tell people who are on the road to destruction that they're not, to tell them that they are safe when it comes to God's wrath when they're not. And the road to destruction in Britain is defined by two things, tolerance and permissiveness. You can do what you please and you can think what you please. Now, if, if, if we have church leaders that are putting people on that road to destruction, it's a salvation issue. And that's why we have to distance ourselves. That's why I stepped down from the Archbishop's Commission, which I may say was grievous. I wept about it because I was longing to serve and found it a great honor that Archbishop Welby had appointed me to that. And then I was having to submit to the leadership of a man who is contrary to Scripture. So it was agony. I'm, I'm not, I, you know, in, in a way I, I come to GAFCOM partly grieving, but also delighted to find a family that is Anglican and that I can trust to submit to the Lord Jesus in Scripture.
1: Okay, well that brings us uh, to an end of this episode. I hope you found it helpful uh, and I hope uh, understanding a little bit about GAFCON uh, has been helpful as well. Uh, Do please continue to pray for GAFCON, pray for the Anglican communion uh, more broadly, and pray for Christ Church. Pray that Uh, we as disciples can remain true disciples, that we stick uh, with Jesus and his teaching. Um, And we we do that so that we can be free as the truth sets us free. And then as we go out and proclaim that truth, that others can find freedom in Christ as well. As they are rescued from their slavery to sin, they are brought into this new life and they find the freedom uh, in obedience to Christ. Um, today, the signs of grace is exactly what we've been talking about. It's a wonderful sign of God's grace that GAFCON has come about. It truly is a, an amazing movement of God's spirit and an amazing work of God and kindness of God, God's grace, that Anglicans around the world who who are pretty different, you know, this is not just all Sydney Anglicans getting together. This is a, a very different, uh, a bunch of people who are quite different on lots of things, but we agree on the teachings of Jesus, and we are coming together quite courageously uh, coming together to make a stand uh, for Jesus our Lord, and for His gospel, uh, which has the power to save it 's a wonderful sign of god 's grace it 's an incredible encouragement that God is still powerfully at work in our world today. Uh, please do continue to pray for Gafcon uh, as I will, and uh, let's let 's continue. Ourselves trying to stick with jesus teaching uh, that 's it for the uh, for this episode and the end of this week. Um, I hope you 've enjoyed it if you have enjoyed it, just a reminder uh, to Um, subscribe to this podcast. If you haven't already, uh, you can subscribe over at iTunes and to share this as well. uh, Let other people know about this podcast. If they don't know about it, I'd love for more people to listen because we want more people to be growing in God's word. Uh, So please do share this episode now on social media, Uh, maybe post it to your church's Facebook page or or to to, to some group of people that you know uh, who would enjoy this. Um, That'd be great. Otherwise, until next time, my name's Tom Abib and you've been listening to The Word Grows. (music) mm <music>